If you'll uh, pull out your program, there's an outline today as we'll be starting a new series devoted together. And just to kind of share with you, um, this kind of began to stir in my heart probably back in like June or July. I just really kind of felt a little unsettled spiritually, not that we're doing anything wrong and it's bad or any of that kind of stuff, but I just kind of felt like um, we were doing a lot of good stuff and a lot of good things were happening, but, but there really wasn't a real good focus on some of the areas of ministry. And so I kind of went back to the book of Acts, which is the history of the New Testament church, and just began to read through and study uh, the, that very first century. And, and my goal was, because I know church history and all that stuff, but my goal was to get back to the purest form. I mean, when the church started and they were just a few weeks old, right? And that's the purest. And after that, then you start getting all these different man-made stuff and all these other things that are taking place, and it sometimes gets us off track. And so I went back through the book of Acts and just began to study and look through and, and make notes to it, and God just began to kind of form in my heart um, some of the things that we, we need to kind of focus on. You see the diagram behind me, and that's where we'll be at for this week and then five other weeks. And what we're going to do for this year is we're going to kind of focus on five of those, uh, one of those core values each month, not necessarily in the message, but, but as we see today, um, each of those areas was important to the New Testament church as it just started and began to move forward. And so each month we'll have designated one of those areas and we'll kind of promote it and encourage it and help folks um, to kind of step up their game in, in those given areas. If you look at kind of a balanced, what does a balanced believer look like or a balanced church look like, that, that's what it looks like. It looks like that there's a sense of growing, there's a sense of connecting with each other, serving, giving, and a sense of missions going. And it's a very balanced approach. And so we're going to look at that over the next uh, few weeks, and then each month during the year kind of focus on that, all right? And you guys are thrilled, aren't you? All right. So when the word church is thrown out, it's interesting, right? Because if you had a great experience in church life, and you just love your little pastor, right? And you just want to come up and pat me on the head, right? And you just can't wait to come and see the little guy run around on the stage and sit on his stool and all that stuff, right? You, for you, church is, is fun. It's exciting, it's encouraging, it's rewarding, right? But some people don't have that experience. When they say, when they think of church, they think of organized religion, right? And if I had a donut for every time that I've heard someone say, you know, I, I love Jesus, I just don't like organized religion, right? I would be, you know... Would the doctor be saying, don't eat donuts anymore, all right? And, and so that, that there are people who hear the, the, the word church, and they have a negative feeling or emotion that comes across. And then some people think that church is a building. In fact, some of you got and said last night and told your family, hey, we're going to church, meaning we're going to drive to a building. And that's where we're going, right? And, and so as I began to kind of think through some of the thinking of the, the North American Christians uh, kind of uh, in America here and some of the words and just kind of had me looking and kind of thinking through what it was like in that very first century New Testament church. And so look with me in your outline. In the book of Acts, it tells us the story about the first century church. And we're going to see that that word actually doesn't even exist, the word church. <clears throat> And it didn't begin as an institution. 
So for those people who think that, you know, hey, I'm for God, I'm just not for organized religion, that, that's great because it was never meant to be an institution. It has, in some cases, grown into an institution for various reasons, but, but, but the reality is, in the, in the purest form of the New Testament church, that wasn't the case. It wasn't an institution. In fact, it began as a movement, right? A movement that, that was born on the day of Pentecost, which we're going to see, and, and it was a very simple message, a simple mission strategy, and there was this crazy devotion to five values that they embraced as the New Testament church. And so look with me um, in your outline. That, that idea of church, the word church in the New Testament, it, it, it doesn't exist, okay? It, it is the word ecclesia, all right? And it, and it means an assembly, and it means a gathering, okay? So in our mind, and this is why I think in many cases the, the church in, in North America has lost its steam to a certain extent, is we think of it as a building. In fact, you may run into, and periodically I'll run into people uh, that are part of this ecclesia. It's like, hey, I haven't seen you in a while. Yeah, I know. You know, and I, was it Easter last year or was it Easter 2006? I can't remember. When was the last time you were here, right? I know, but I'm still a part of the church. Really? You're part of the gathering? You're part of the assembly? Not really. You, you may be, quote, a member, and you may consider this your home church, but you're not really part of the ecclesia of that New Testament church, that body, because, because it was a gathering. It was an assembly of folks who would come to listen to and be encouraged and ultimately go out into the highways and byways. And I think in, in our culture, we have, we have come and we've embraced the idea of church, a building, a facility, and being a part of it is just we're kind of loosely connected, but we're not really committed to it. And I think as a result, it creates some struggles and some issues within that New Testament church. So let's take a look. As Jesus begins to, and as the New Testament be, church begins to catapult into, it was really kind of a very simple message, simple mission, and a crazy devotion. So let's look at them as we work through, as we kind of take an overview of today, uh, of the church. Number one in your outline is there was a simple message. It wasn't a complex message. It wasn't a difficult message. It was a pretty simple message. In fact, one day the disciples uh, was asking Jesus in, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. He, he comes, uh, uh, the disciples are standing around and, and they ask, uh, they're asking questions and Jesus is asking questions. And he comes to them in verse 13 and he says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples this question. And here's the question. Who do people say the Son of Man is? Okay, who, who, who is, what is the word that's out in amongst the community and amongst the, 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 the highways and byways? What are they saying? And in verse 14, it says, they replied, well, some say you're John the Baptist, others Elijah. Some of you say, some say that you're Jeremiah and others prophet, a prophet. So Jesus hones in, he kind of brings them into focus and he says, but what about you? Who do, who do you claim that I am? Verse 16. Simon Peter speaks up, and he answers, and he says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Verse 17. 
Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this, for his recognition of who Jesus was, that he was the Christ of the Son of the living God. He says, This was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. Verse 18. And I tell you that you are Peter, Petra, the rock, and on this rock I will build my, not church, ecclesia. We have, through a German translation, we have placed in the New Testament, in the English uh, version, the word church. It doesn't exist in the Greek. It actually says, and G, as Jesus says, and I will build my ecclesia, I will build my gathering, I will build my assembly, I, I will build my movement. Not building, not facility. And the gates of Hades, or some of your translations will say hell, and the better translation is the word death. And the gates of Hades will not come against it. In other words, this movement that's taking place, that, that this isn't about a building, it's not about an institution, it's not about a people group, it's not about a demographic area, it's not about a first century thing. That this movement that is going to move forward that there is nothing, there will be generations that will live and die, there will be people groups that will live and die, that there will be nations that will rise up and crumble, that there will be all kinds of things that will take place, there will be opposition against. But the gates of hell, the gates of death, the gates of Hades will not come against this movement, that it will continue to be. So in Acts chapter 1, Jesus gives them the great commission from the version of Acts. Now in, in Matthew, uh, there's the great commission. This is uh, Jesus in Acts chapter 1, verse 6. And so they have this kind of very simple message that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And it, in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, which is the history of the New Testament church, he says, so when they met together, they asked him, Okay, so the disciples are all together. They're on a hillside. They're, they're, they're chatting with him. And the disciple says, Lord, are, are, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Okay? The, at that moment, there are roughly 120 believers. They were not thinking about a movement. They were not thinking about the end of the earth. They were not thinking about multiple languages, hearing about Jesus. They, they weren't thinking about any of that. You know what they're thinking about? They're thinking about the, Ro the Roman government oppressing us, Jesus coming in, restoring Israel, and we will reign under him as king of kings and lord of lords, and he'll be the new CEO, he'll be the new president, and Jesus, when are you going to do that? And watch what he says. <clears throat> And he said to them, verse 7, It is not for you to know the time or the date the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power, in which they're going, we like power, right? How many like power, right? Let's see, a one-cylinder car or a V8? Come on, guys, help me out. Or a wom, 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 right? Okay, power, yeah, we'll take a little bit of that, right? So, and you will receive power. For what reason? Verse 8. And you will be 
It goes on, he says, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes to you. And verse 8 gives us what that power is going to be. And you will be my witnesses. Not commanders, right? Not senators, not congressmen, not presidents. You will be my witnesses. And when I was in high school, I witnessed an accident. You know, have you ever done that? And you tell the cop, hey, here's my name, here's my phone number. And they're like, oh, yeah, well, we'll call you if we need you. I got the call, right? So I'm like shaking. It's a jury trial. There's lawyers. There's a, you know, it's like, okay, Danny boy, get up there and tell us what happened, right? It's like, oh, 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 okay, well, uh, the, the, you know, and then they give you these little like felt things and your car A and car B and, you know, kaboom, right? Now, I wasn't there to say who was at fault. I wasn't there to say what the light was, the person said that they thought. I was there just simply to witness and tell the story that I knew. That's it. The white car, the red car, kaboom, whatever it was. I don't even remember it this time. But that's it. And he says, this this is what you're to be. You'll get the power, and you are going to simply have a message. And the message is very simple. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He was crucified, he was buried in a tomb, and he was resurrected, and he appeared to us, and he's at the right hand of the Father. And this is what he has done in my life. Simple. A very simple message for us to understand. Number two, is then we find, as it goes on, is there's an expanding mission that's taking place. An expanding mission. Verse 8 goes on, and he says, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and that's where they were at. And so they're thinking, okay, we got that dialed in. That's easy. So for us, if, you know, if it were us in those days, he would say, and you'll be our witness in you know, Oakley or East County. And you're like, okay, we could figure that out. And then he says, in Judea, so maybe Contra Costa, the greater Bay Area, maybe Solano County or Alameda County, so a little larger area of influence, right? And then he goes on, he says, in Samaria. And they're like, whoa, wait a minute, we don't go there. We would say, that's the other side of the tracks. We don't go into those places. You'll have to send someone else in those, right? Because Jews and Samaritans wouldn't hang out together. They were forbidden to hang out. Right? So he tells them, he says, you're going to be my witnesses in, in Samaria. And they're like, ah, I'm not really sure about that one. And then he throws a humdinger in here and he says, and the ends of the earth. Now we have satellites and telescopes and spaceships and all that stuff. And we get it. But imagine the first century. They rode around on donkeys, camels, and walked. Their attitude and idea of the ends of the earth was probably a couple day journey from where they lived. And they're thinking, I mean, does he even realize? I mean, we just know like 100 miles from here. <laughs> we could probably figure that thing out, right? We, we, could, we could probably figure out what the ends of the earth was in their mind. Verse 9. And he said this, and he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. Now, now just kind of get the, get the mindset here, what's taking place. They watch Jesus crucified, buried, and returns. He's hanging out with them, and he's giving them direction of what they're going to do when he leaves. And all of a sudden, he says, hey, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the the other ends of the earth. You're going to get power to do that. And all of a sudden, up he goes. And they have to be standing there thinking, wait a minute, time out. 
you want us to be your witness to a government, the Romans, that just crucified you? And how about the Jewish people that hate you? And you want us to go around telling people of who you are? How about if we just come up with the secret handshake? And we'll just have like an internal thing. And we'll just kind of work that way. I don't know if I like the idea of going out in the highways and byways to tell people Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that he died on a cross and he rose again. He's at the right hand of the Father. I don't know that I'm interested in telling a group of people who are hostile to that environment. I want to tell people who are friendly. You ever feel that way? Huh? Right? Yeah, sure, sure. We all, we all feel that way, right? So a couple weeks later, there's Jewish people are celebrating in, uh, the, the celebration of the Feast of Pentecost. And that was kind of like a Passover thing for the Jewish people, and they would gather from all over the place. And so they come into Jerusalem um, to, to, to celebrate this, this, pa- this Pentecost, this fe- festival of Pentecost. And that's when God, in his, pr- in, his, in his perfect timing, decides to send the power, the Holy Spirit, into the life of those 120 believers, right? And, and all of a sudden, Peter, in, in Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to skip a few verses, but in Acts chapter 2, the, the Spirit of God dwells within him. He desires to stand up and preach the very first message of the New Testament church, and he's going to preach it. And in, in Acts chapter 2, and we're going to pick up in verse 22 and 23, he, he says, men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to do, uh, to do, credited by God to you by miracles, uh, wonders, and signs, right? So that was the manifestation that Jesus was the Christ, that he was the Messiah. And that was a way of validating who he was. He didn't do miracles for miracles sake because he could. He did it to prove a point that he was the Messiah, that he was the son of the living God. And they recognized that because many of them would have witnessed Jesus doing that stuff because the time period of his crucifixion and resurrection and ministry is a very short period of time. So it's not like they're talking about, and well, in 1962, you know, one of those kinds of things. We're talking months away. And so he says to them, he says, the miracles and wonders in which God did among you through him um, as you yourself know. You witnessed it. You either heard it firsthand or you actually you were actually a witness to the event that took place. Verse 23. This man was handed over to you by God, uh, by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death, and you nailed him to the cross. Verse 23 and verse 24. And you, you uh, verse 24. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it is impossible for death to keep a hold on him. Verse uh, 30, skipping down to 32. And God raised this Jesus, right? And he's talking to a group who witnessed it or understood it. And God, God raised this Jesus, and we are witnesses, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted him, in verse 33, to the right hand of, the God, uh, of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see. And that's the power in which Peter was speaking on. Okay? You are witnesses to it. 
verse 30, uh, 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this, that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, God has made him both Lord, uh, both Lord and Christ. Simple message. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. You nailed him to the cross. He's resurrected. We witnessed it. You witnessed it. The miraculous things that are taking place is a manifestation of the power in which he operated under in his earthly ministry and certainly in his, uh, before he was resurrected and even now. And you are witnesses to it. Not a complex message. A very simple message. And that we are to take that message and we are to expand it to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and that time as they're talking, and to the ends of the earth. A very simple message, an expanding ministry that was to keep going and taking place. Okay? We following so far? All right. So we on verse uh, 36. God made this Jesus both Lord and Christ. Verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to their hearts or convicted. Right? Uh, for if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, someone shared with you that Christ loved you, he desires to have a personal relationship with you, and there was that moment where you're like, ugh, I need Jesus in my life. That's what they're referring to here. They're, 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 they were cut to their heart, they were convicted. And said to Peter and to the other uh, apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Wouldn't that be wonderful if all your friends did that to you when you said, hey, Jesus loves you. They're like, hey, just tell me, what do I need to do? I just said that would be the greatest the greatest that could ever happen right there. And, G, and, he, and Peter replied to them, and he says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sin. And here's the promise to them. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 39. The promise, um, the promise is for you and all your children. Okay, And they're thinking about that. They can kind of get their mind around this. And then here is a very cool part of the text. And for all who are far, what's the word? Ah, who are those? You know who those are? You. Me. You know what Peter was saying? Peter was saying, listen, this isn't about an institution. This isn't about a business. This isn't about an organization. This isn't about a Jerusalem thing. This isn't even about a Holy Land thing. This isn't about an Israel thing. This is about something that is far bigger than you can even get your mind around. This is about a message that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that he died on a cross and that he rose again. This is a message and a movement that is going to be for generations that you can't even imagine will exist in the future. And we sit here today, and we sit here today, a couple thousand years later and thousands of miles away from where the event took place. And we sit here today, and what do we proclaim every Sunday? Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that he died on a cross, that he rose again, that he is Lord of lords and King of kings. He loves you, and he wants to enter into a relationship with you. Isn't that crazy? And history and history, there have been movements that have kind of raised up in people groups and crazy people that have tried to push it into a hole, silence it, quiet it, whatever else, extinguish it from the face of the earth. And guess what? There are still millions of people and millions of churches all over this world sharing that very simple message of who Jesus is. And when you read that and you kind of get your mind around it, you go, that's crazy. 
Because it isn't about denominations or any of that kind of crazy stuff. It's just simply about a very simple thing. Jesus is the Christ, Son of the living God, that He died on the cross, that He rose again. He desires a personal relationship with you, and you are a witness to that, and you need to go into your highways and your byways and your neighborhoods and across the world that the Lord leads you there, and you need to tell them that. Right? And we kind of complicate things, don't we? Don't we? Now, what's your view on... I got some... I probably shouldn't say this because he probably listen. Some nut job, right? He, like, emails me and he asks these, like, bizarre things. And at first I'm like, oh, well, maybe it's somebody in the church that needs a little direction. I send him an email back. And, oh, yeah, yeah, it was that crazy because now he's got my personal email, right? It's like, oh, okay, let me put on my glasses, right, so I can understand what you're saying, because this guy... So anyway, I finally email him and say, listen, here's the reality. Don't bother me, okay? I'm about Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that he died on the cross and he rose again, and he desires to have a personal relationship with the people. If you want to get off in the weeds about whatever and all that stuff's fine, that's great, let's chat about it, but you don't have to be so stinking angry about it, all right? The world doesn't need to know about your angry, your anger about whatever some thing that you've kind of concocted in your mind, right? <sighs> I feel better already. <laughs> Focus on what matters, right? Focus on what matters. So they accept it, and in and, and verse... Um, 39, it says, and the promise will be for your children, for those who are far away. Verse 41, and those who accepted the message were baptized, and there were about 3,000. So now they had 120-ish, and now they have 3,120-ish, because they added 3,000 in that day, and that was the kickoff, or the birth, of the ecclesia, the beginning of the New Testament ecclesia, gathering, right, it was a group of, it wasn't a building, it wasn't any of that stuff. It was a group of people who then be, gathered under the umbrella of Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that He died on a cross, that He rose again, and we are witnesses to it. Okay? That's who they were. And from that, they had this radical devotion. And this is where all of a sudden my heart just kind of jumped out of me when I began to look at this. And I thought, if the church in North America is losing its influence, and this is what I believe the reason why is. And let's take a look. All right? You ready for this? All right. Number three. There was a serious devotion. There was a serious devotion. And there were five values that they had in this crazy devotion. Verse 42, Acts chapter 2. He says, and they devoted themselves. Now look, look with me what the word in the Greek devotion means. It means to be earnest toward, to persevere, to consistently be diligent, to attend tirelessly all the exercises. Okay, now, time out, right? Time out. This is what the purest form of the New Testament Christ followers had in their life. My, my, my desire is for us to look at our devotion, and we're going to look at the five key areas, and ask ourselves the question, 
if I was in that first century, would I be connected with these folks? Okay? Would I have the same passion in which they had in that very first century? So here's what it was. Letter A in your outline. They had a serious, crazy devotion toward spiritual growth or growing spiritually in their life. In verse 42, it says, and they, were devoted, they devoted themselves, they had this perseverance, they had this diligent attitude, this, this passion to sit under the authority of the apostles, meaning the teacher at that time that they would have those who, who would be teaching. They had a crazy passion for it, okay? Now, here's where I think in, in, in North America churches, here's where I think we've gone wrong. <clears throat> we take a Greek mindset of growth spiritually. And here's the Greek mindset. The Greek mindset is wonderful professors, philosophers. And they would stand up and they would spew out their information into their students. And you would sit there and try to catch it all that you could, right? Catch all that you can. And it was spiritual growth was about information. But it never translated into actions. Jesus spoke primarily from a Hebrew mindset. A Hebrew mindset of way of education is really quite different than a Greek mindset. A Hebrew mindset was, is more like the apprentice programs that we have for crafts or for, for different types of uh, uh, professions. So he, here's the way it would work for Jesus. Jesus would teach. He, he then would do. And then he would watch his disciples doing what he taught. See, we sit and we get information. And that's it. And we say, oh, I'm spiritual. Well, why are you spiritual? Well, I know the whole book of Leviticus. Whoa, really? So how many doves do you kill when you mess up? That's what I want to know right now. Can you eat shellfish or not? Right? How does it translate into your life? Well, you know, the Hebrew word for, okay, great. But so how is that impacting your marriage? Well, you know, uh, right? That's, that's the way we do it. And so as I, as I kind of thought through this, I, I pulled out, we'll look at this when we look at the word grow, when we deal with grow. I took Jesus calling a couple of his disciples. And, and what, what made me kind of just go, whoa, that's kind of trippy, is that he, he kind of taught them about their head, their head knowledge of who he was, which impacted their heart and ultimately translated into action into their hands. So the head knowledge was translated into kind of conviction that they became passionate about. And that passion drove them to actually be the witness and do the ministry of Christ. And I thought, you know, I'm not sure, and you know, I'm, I'm the leader, I'll take ownership. I'm not sure that we're doing that. I think we're given information. I don't know if we're actually compelling to people and then actually giving them a venue to do. And so for me, it was like, you know, I don't like to hear this stuff. I want to hear from the Holy Spirit. Dan, you are doing so good, brother. You just keep it up. I mean, that's what I want to hear. 
I don't like this. Oh, time out. Maybe you're not. Right? That is growth. We'll look at that in a couple weeks. Letter B in your outline is to connect with others. To connect with others. So they are devoted to the apostles' teacher, teaching, and to fellowship. All right? Now, I don't want to spend a bunch of time on that because I think, I think we all know. The, the word fellowship is the word koinonia, right? Now, when we were in our old location, we had a fellowship hall. Okay, you know where I'm going with this? And in a fellowship hall, guess what you do there? You fellowship. And that usually means cookies, right? Finger food, punch, coffee, you know, right? And you go there and you go, hey, we're going to go to the fellowship hall. We're going to fellowship. Okay? But then when you look at the Greek word, you kind of go, well, is that actually taking place? Because the Greek word for fellowship is the word koinonia, and that is the word partnership or the word sharing. So, so it becomes kind of eat cookies and punch, but that's fellowship. That's what we have embraced as, as American Christians. But the Greek word actually means to partnership or to share with folks. Not the food, get your hands off my stuff, I'm going to eat it, right? Not that. But to share your life with them. That there is a connection that goes out. And that connection is, in your outline, it's both with Christ and with other believers. But we have adopted, we have adopted the mindset that I can go to any church, never get connected, be a lone rain, a lone rain Christian, never connect with other sisters and brothers in Christ, and I would be perfectly fine. Well, that New Testament church is like, no, you wouldn't. You know why? You'll get eaten up, spit out, and kicked to the side. You need a connection with other folks in your life. Now, here's my illustration. If you look around, my hunch is that you don't know what's going on in the life of five people in this room. You have no idea. You don't know if their marriage is going to fall apart. You don't know if they just lost their house. You don't know if there's a great victory that they just paid off all their credit cards. Hallelujah. And we all need to stand up and give go God a moment. But you, you, we have no idea. Be honest. I don't know unless you tell me you're right on the back of the communication card. And you're doing life on your own. You're not connected. And when you're not connected, then whatever happens kind of happens and you don't have the support and encouragement with each other. Look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. And we proclaim to you what you have seen and heard. And you don't want me to go through it. Jesus is the Christ, Son of the living God. Okay, blah, blah, blah. So that you also may have fellowship with, what's the word? Us. And our fellowship is with the, and with his, Jesus Christ. So there's connection with Christ and each other. They're not separate. They're together. Okay, there's a connection together. Goes on in verse 42, the breaking of bread. And that is the celebration of the Lord's Supper. And the one thing that I would say about the Lord's Supper is it's really an illustration of the oneness or the togetherness of a body of believers. We come to the ground of the foot of the cross of Christ and we symbolically 
partake of the one body. We symbolically drink of the one blood that was shed for us. And it unites us. In fact, many churches, and we're one of them, will say, you know what? Grab the, uh, the element. Hold on to it. I'm going to read a scripture and pray, and we're all going to take it together. Because it's an illustration of the togetherness as the body of Christ. Number, uh, verse 42 goes on, and he says, and to prayer. And prayer is an overflow of your spiritual life, but it's also an overflow of your connected life with other believers. Because when you're in a smaller group, you understand and know what's going on in their life. You know how to pray for them. You know how to rejoice with them or mourn with them depending on what they're going in their life. But in a larger congregational setting, you don't know. Maybe someone tells you on the way out, hey, my marriage is falling apart. Pray for me. And you're like, no problem. What's your name? Gotcha. Come on, be honest. Isn't that the truth? So, so how do you even pray if we don't know? And so there's this togetherness that takes place and they're devoted to each other. Verse 43 goes on and it says, and everyone was filled with awe. And that is an attitude of reverence. Okay? And, that, and, and here's why. And verse 43 goes on and he says, and many wondrous and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. And remember, when Jesus was in his earthly ministry and the apostles later were doing miraculous signs and wonders, it wasn't about the miracle that they performed and it wasn't about the person that received the miracle. It was about validating that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, that he died on a cross, he rose again, and he's alive today. That's what it was. And it was to draw the outsiders in to recognize who Christ was. It wasn't about miracles for the inside of the church. It was for the outside to recognize who Jesus was. Okay? And so they're absolutely in awe of all that's taking place, of the wondrous signs and, and, and that the apostles are doing. Letter C in your outline is there was a crazy devotion to serving one another. Now, this isn't serving the community. We'll get to that in a moment. This is serving one another. In verse 44, and all the, not outsiders, and all the believers were, and there's that word again, together and, every, uh, and had everything in common. There was a spiritual unity and there was a practical oneness that was taking place. Okay, In reference to the context of this, what, what had taken place is many of the Jewish people had come in for the day of Pentecost. They became followers of Christ. They knew that they couldn't go back to their own homes and their own businesses. The Jewish people would shun the followers of Christ. Rome wasn't happy about the way that they called them. That's what they called them, the way. They weren't happy about them. So many of them lost their jobs, their house, their families, and everything else. And you know what the, the group of Ecclesia did? They got around each other and they said, you know what, so-and-so doesn't have a place to live. Let's invite them in. And they shared in common their resources. Because there was a need that was being met for various reasons and circumstances that were taking place. And so that there was this idea of serving each other. Not enabling, okay? Not paying for my trip to Disneyland. None of that stuff, but it was serving each other. And we'll look at that as we go through uh, the, uh, in the weeks ahead. In John chapter 13, verse 34, look what Jesus says. A new command I give you. 
Love one another. Okay, here's the new command. As I have loved you, there's the illustration. You are to love them unconditionally with no strings attached. Who are you to love? Those in the body. He's not talking about those outside. He's talking about those inside. In verse 35, by this, by what? By your love for each other. Now think about that for a moment. Our love for each other who is here, part of the ecclesia. That we are to love each other like Christ loved the church. Okay? By that, by that testimony or that action, by that, uh, uh, that all men, right? Now he's referring to outsiders, isn't he? He's not referring to insiders. He says, by that, all men will know that you are my disciples. How? Here, if you love one another. To, you know, as, as I read that, I just think, again, I don't want to throw all the churches under the bus, but too often we hear about too many fights. Don't we? And we hear about, I don't want to be a part of organized religion. Well, why not? Well, you know how, you know how they treat each other? It's like we're cannibalizing our own people. You love Jesus? Good. Well, let me just tell you what's wrong in your life right now. Right? And then we smack them. And then a the guy goes to a bar and everyone knows his name. And we call that Cheers. Right? Serious. I mean, think about how crazy this is. It's crazy. Right? And so we, we cannibalize our own believers for, for whatever reason, and not to say that, hey, anything ought to go, and, you know, whatever you feel, just do it. None of that stuff. I mean, obviously there's scripture that we need to uphold and all that kind of stuff, but, but, but we cannibalize each other. And Jesus says, by this, by your love that you have for each other, the world's going to know that you're my disciple. And so there's a connection again with Christ and with one another. Letter D is they gave generously. In verse 45, selling their possessions and goods, they gave to everyone as they had need. Now this isn't, you know, every once in a while you hear someone, Jesus was for communism. It's like, no, it isn't. It actually meant that when someone had a need, if they had an asset that they could sell, they would sell or they would get rid of it in order to help someone. It doesn't mean that everyone sold everything and said, hey, bring all your money. Let's pull it in the church account. You know, just let's do that. I mean, it wasn't that. There was a need in the body of Christ. Someone had the resources to do it. They did it. It was, it was that simple. They understood, and this is, what, this is what's so amazing. They understood even at that very early age of just literally a couple months old as the New Testament church, they understood the priorities of eternity. And, that, and to me, that, that's amazing that they understood that their time, talent, and resources were invested for all eternity. And as I, as I th- sat through that and just kind of spent a little time praying through that, I thought, you know, the cause of Christ, not just the church, there's parachurch groups and stuff, but the, the folks who are organized around the simple gospel that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that He died on the cross and He rose again, that, that is the only type of entity that you can invest your time, talent, and resources for all eternity. Do you recognize that? There are lots of great organizations, and you can invest your time, talent, and resources in all kinds of wonderful organizations, but it's not eternal. It's for a good cause. 
And they recognized that at a very early age in their church that their time, talent, and resources were to be given, and it was for all eternity that was at stake. Verse 46. And every, uh, and every day they continued to meet together in, temple courts, in the temple courts. They broke bread in their, where at? Oh, can I come over today? And they ate together with bummed out looks on their face and unsincere hearts. They liked each other. Imagine that. It's like, man, Dan's coming over. I dig him. Right? Or maybe you're saying, Tammy's coming over. I hope he doesn't show up. All right? So, I mean, however it works for you. But there was a sense of unity in the fellowship that that there was a miraculous thing that was taking place. There was a sharing thing that was taking place. And and then look at the impact. Watch the impact of what takes place in verse 47. Praising God and enjoying the favor of, what's the word? All, not just the insiders. The outsiders. They, They were gaining favor with all people. Letter E is to go. And I don't mean literally leave. I mean, wait till I finish, then you can leave. (laughs) And that verse should be um, Acts chapter 2, verse 47. I have 26. I'm not sure why that's stuck in my uh, program. But anyway, that's in verse 47. And, and And look what it says. And the Lord, what did he do? He added to their number daily those who were being saved. And the verb in there... In, in, in the original language, it's, it's actually kind of cool. Because what it actually would, would mean for us is that as the world observed, the ecclesia, lived their daily life, their unity, their love for each other, their passion for Christ, as they, as, as they observed their daily conduct, they were drawn into the ecclesia. And I thought, you know, oftentimes we say, how do I witness to someone? I don't know, how are you walking? Isn't it true? How are you living in your work environment, in your neighborhood, amongst your extended family? Do, do Do they see something that is radically different in your life? that draws them to ask the question, what has that dude got? Whatever it is, I want it. But as people would watch the New Testament believers, they would look. They were passionate about the teachings of Christ. That They were connected. That They were willing to serve each other and they were willing to go the extra mile. They were generous in their giving. And they were willing to go into the highways and byways and risk their life for a very simple message that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And here's the challenge as we get ready to leave today. How is your devotion? When you think about that first century New Testament church, if you were to walk in, if you were able to time travel backward, would your commitment fit in with them. Let me just tell you something, and this is what breaks my heart. In 90, when I started the ministry, the average church person attended three Sundays a month. Great ones, four. 
but average three. 20 years later, it's like 1.5 or 1.7 times a month. Listen, if everyone who calls Laurel Ridge their ecclesia showed up, we would have to go to four services next week. That's what it is. And this is what breaks my heart. Because everything emanates out of our spiritual life. And if we don't have this crazy dedication and devotion to growing, to connecting, to serving, to giving, to going, that's a healthy spiritual life. If, if we don't have that passion, you know what's going to happen? Marriages are going to fail. Is that taking place? Kids are going to go sideways. Is that taking place? People's finances are going to get out of whack. Is that taking place? Communities are going to go to hell in a handbasket. Is that taking place? Communities are going to be places where people are like, I'm not going there. You know what's going on there? It's craziness over there, right? Is that taking place? It is. And the answer is Christ. And the answer is for the New Testament ecclesia. Don't be committed to this building. Be committed to this body. The building is the blessing that God has given us. It's simply so we could sit here and we don't get rained on. Unless it rains and the roof lifts. And then it's a different problem. All right? But be committed. Be committed as 2015 gets kicked off. Be, just have a crazy devotion for the cause of Christ. And I believe this, that I think that God has great plans. Not because of great leadership. Okay, I'm a bumbling idiot and I'll own that. But God wants to do great stuff in and through a group of people who have a crazy devotion to him. Amen? Let's pray.